I'm Captain Kirk. Fascinating. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. Thank you, thank you. Love you. Most illogical. I saw. Well, that was different. Yep, rousy, but different. Places, please. And here we go. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, Platonians, chickens, and things to episode 66 of the Muppet Trek podcast. I'm Jarman. And I'm Steve. Uh, we're here to talk about our. God damn it, Steve. <laughs> I like flipped off my note for a second. For a second. It Where was all am gone. I? What's going on? We're here to compare, contrast, and confer about our two favorite franchises. Jeremy, what are those? Those are the Muppets and Star Trek. And we do one to one reviews of the Muppet Show and the Star Trek, the original series. And this week we have Muppet Show with special guest Spike Milligan in Star Trek, the original series episode, Plato's Stepchildren. That's right. And before we move on to our show, we had a little bit of feedback from uh, uh, Bill Lemond on, uh, I think it's pronounced Lemond on Twitter. He was uh, listening to our Play on Nerds episodes recently as well because he uh, was found us on the um, Sci-Fi Waffle podcast. Oh, is he the guy that wrote to us before? Yes, he wrote to us before. Now he's, he's listening to Muppet Trek a little bit. Uh, he said, just subscribed to Muppet Trek and added several past episodes to my download queue. I'll see how my backlog gets uh, for some podcasts. Even the whole uh, Earth Station One network is less than a week behind. So he listens to a lot of podcasts. So thanks, Bill, for adding us to your repertoire. We appreciate it. So what? Tell, and also tell us what you do for a living where you can listen to podcasts. Oh, yeah. And how like much our friend Sean of- Vanderloo <laughs> is a, a postman. That's right. And so he is able to listen to a lot of podcasts because of that. Exactly. I wish I had a job like listen to podcasts, but I'm listening to audio for my job, so it's impossible. But what are you going to do? What are you going to do? <laughs> uh, so, Steve, tell us about this Muppet Show guest star, Spike Milligan, because uh, I had never heard of him before. <laughs> Spike Milligan, born Terrence Allen Milligan, was an Irish-British actor, comedian, and writer. He was born and spent his childhood in India and then moved to the UK in the 30s. He was a big hit on British radio and was part of a comedy show troupe called The Goon Show. Right. He then moved over to TV, which sketched comedy with a show called Q5, which evidently, and our UK listeners can confirm, was a major inspiration for Monty Python. And then in the 70s, he gained a little bit of like actual acclaim when he wrote a seven-part autobiographical account of his time in World War II. And because of that, he became really close friends with Charles, Prince of Wales. <laughs> but what does our audience know him from? Well, our UK listeners likely know him as a comedy icon because he seems to be the John Cleese of the UK, even though John Cleese is also the John Cleese of the UK. <laughs> like an earlier John Cleese, maybe? Like an earlier John Cleese. Uh, but besides small parts in the life of Brian and History of the World Part 1, our audience probably doesn't know him from a whole lot, as his last IMDb credit was in 2000. Yeah, and actually, he's one of the first guests that I didn't know who they were, where I didn't wait to the episode for Steve to just explain it to me, because like who the hell is this guy? <laughs> he's, yeah, we'll get into it, but nothing. he's really weird on this episode. But then I was like, oh, I better back off my like scathing commentary about him because he seems like an icon in the UK. And I apologize. I think he is. Yeah. So he might just be too British. For but us. his books seem fascinating. Like maybe he's just more interesting on that end, like the writing and that kind of stuff, because this is gets to be weird. But Steve, you well, can, you can what's going it. on in the show this week? Uh, backstage. This is my literal note. The backstage plot is just a cacophony of racial insensitivity. <laughs> The only half okay joke is that Australians are walking on the ceiling. Now, Um, it might not be available in UK, by the way, this episode on Disney Plus. I don't think it's available in Europe, Disney Plus. So keep aware of that. Uh, Here's what I'll tell you guys. So on Disney Plus, they now have these warnings before episodes that that feature like culturally insensitive uh, depictions or like stuff that was okay for TV back then, but it's definitely not okay for TV back now. 
And anytime I see one, I watch kind of watch for what it is and kind of go, oh, okay. Yeah, I can I see it. that. Yeah, I could see it. Like Calypso Pigs, I think was another one that had. And I was like, okay, I get that. This one is like, is so far and beyond. <laughs> just smacks you in the face. Just, it is. <laughs> you'll hear about it. Um, but yeah, a cacophony of, of racial insensitivity. <laughs> On stage this week, also a cacophony of racial insensitivity. Uh, the show opens with Oklahoma as samurais perform the musical number with very racist Asian puppets doing a very racist Asian accent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sam then takes the stage asking for a proper English gentleman to come and talk about our friends, the British spike hits the stage and speaks with incredibly thick Cockney accent. Sam, Sam struggles to understand Sam is further outraged by his over the top Britishness, which ends with him dropping his pants revealing the British flag. Up next is the music of Scotland is what they call it. And a bagpiper hits the stage, does a nice little number, but then the bagpipe flies out of control. (laughs) Following this is a special international Muppet news. The anchor reads a report while Spike seemingly acts it out. It's over the top and ends with Spike hitting the anchor in the head with a hammer. Hitting the stage is Wayne, who sings Dog Walk, the only not racial insensitive part of this whole episode. <laughs> it was really sweet. <laughs> About the ruckus and adventure of walking a really crazy out of control dog um, who runs him around the stage. The Electric Mayhem are on next, performing America from West Side Story, joined by a witch doctor, uh, uh. <laughs> uh, a Hawaiian with a ukulele, which wasn't too bad, and several other several others ranging it for in cultural insensitivity just there's a range of it oh yeah spike is on stage again performing something he calls the intergalactic brotherhood of man including things spike is in like a nightcap and gown in front of a window and has a really confusing interaction with new zealand and he raises and lowers the screen behind him rapidly which changes the background and it ends with him being attacked by a kuzbanian and I love in the Muppet Wiki it for this little sketch. There's like good descriptions of the sketches. And here it was just like an incomprehensible sketch with the uh, Milligan in front of a window in New Zealand. They're like, oh, uh, we don't know what happened. <laughs> Kermit then introduces the big finality, the Parade of Nations, where the Muppets reenact. It's a small world after all. Spike attempts to join. Sam tries to keep him out. Sam's the only one here who knows how bad this is. <laughs> Sam is really the savior of this episode. He's trying. Uh, Spike Milligan kicks it up a notch with the most racially insensitive outfit yet of like China and the buck teeth and my god it was like Mickey Rooney and breakfast at one point it looked like he did a Nazi salute that was weird it really looked like he did a Nazi salute and thank god this episode is finally over (laughs) he thinks uh, Kermit thanks Spike one last time who is in a Native American headdress just to cap it all off And that is what we call the Muppet Show. Unfortunately. Jarman, what do you think of this week's episode of Spike Milligan? Well, the, the, honestly, if we get if you skip past the terrible cultural insensitivity and stereotypes that were throughout this, which we obviously covered, him, it was just hard. Even when he wasn't doing his hyper um, Cockney accent, he was speaking so fast in every one of his sketches that it was difficult to hear any of his jokes and he was plowing through his jokes so fast that I couldn't really understand them. And it wasn't funny. Like, and he reminded me somewhat um, physicality wise in the way he speaks like Robin Williams, 
but it's like if Robin Williams did even more coke like in the 70s. I was like, I don't know what this man is saying. And I understand British accents particularly well, I think, usually. And he's just he was just mumbling. And also a lot of times the the actually audio mix was pretty bad on this episode, too. I don't know if you noticed that, but like he was his volume was very low compared to other characters sometimes because maybe he was just running around so much they couldn't mic it I properly. bet you he was running around so much they had trouble keeping the audio on him. Right. So he was quiet and mumbling. So I was like, I don't know what he's saying. None of this is funny. And then all of a sudden racist stereotype hits me in the face. I'm like, Jesus Christ. So it was overall bottom of the barrel pretty bad. Uh- <laughs> so I am with you in that I have never been happier to have no reason to like an episode of the Muppet Show. <laughs> right. There wasn't like a fantastic host who like overwhelmed you as in on top of the racism. Right. <laughs> the, the the racism throughout was just just stupendous. <laughs> just astounding the racism. And so like if it had been this episode with like Danny Kay, I would have such mixed emotions. Oh yeah, absolutely. But thank God it was Spike Milligan who was too British and too outlandish for even for the Muppets. How crazy is that? Yeah, like his humor then the ones like that was just the physical like slapstick stuff was even too like for children almost which is weird because I looked up more of his stuff. He does a lot of political commentary really intelligent stuff too like satire. This was just like like almost for like two year olds and then when he was saying things I couldn't understand a word he was saying so I was just like this was just terrible. Um, (laughs) So our UK listeners, if this is not available on Disney Plus, good for you guys. <laughs> good for you guys. Now this they're going to want to watch Disney it now, Plus. of course, because we're saying a lot of things watch about it, it. But just, man, <sighs> what I can tell you right now without knowing any, without remembering what else is there, that this is bottom three for the entire series. Probably. And I had to bottom point three out the entire series. It's almost like Miss Piggy for a second is aware, but she's not when she says to Kermit about this, you know, number going on stage. Oh, Kermit's being so humanitarian by having this international representation back here. And then it's like, no, no, not at all. Oh my gosh. It was. <laughs> so yeah, that was about a show. We never have to talk about it again, except for when we talk about our bottom three, which it will be a part of <laughs> right. for every time we talk about them from here on out. And if he's so beloved, guys, we we apologize, but not much we but can man, do there. This episode between the choices made, like who knows? Like I, I don't know if I've ever been like ashamed of Jim, but this might be the first time. <laughs> oh man, just yeah. might be the first time. It was a, um, it was a different time. <laughs> we'll even so, like they don't do these kind of jokes most of the time. Yeah, that's true. And to have an entire episode that is these jokes is like why. At least they got it all in one. Maybe it's done now. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, yeah, I agree. Let's talk about the music this week, and then we can be done with it. <laughs> Oklahoma, from the musical of the same name by Rodgers and Hammerstein, it's the state song of Oklahoma, but replaced another song, the song Oklahoma, A Toast. It was written in 1905 by Harriet Parker Camden and became the state song in 1935. Oh, cool. Uh, Akira do Brazil, I'm so sorry, uh, which is what was played on the bagpipe, translates to Watercolor of Brazil. It was written by composer Ari Barroso, and it was inspired when he had to cancel his evening plans due to a torrential downpour. Hmm. The Watercolor of Brazil. Gotcha. Dog Walk, sung by Wayne, written by Paul Tracy. He's A few others of his songs have been performed on The Muppet Show, including Something's Missing and Wishing Song. 
Mm-hmm. America from West Side Story by Sondheim and Bernstein made famous in the 1961 film version and first performed in season one by Muppet Show guest Rita Moreno, who was in like the original cast. Uh, it's a small world. The working title for which was children of the world. It was written by the Sherman brothers of Disney fame. And in 2014, it was estimated the song had been played 50 million times worldwide at various Disney attractions. Wow. And is the most played recording in history, according to their estimates. That's interesting. So German, what did you think was the best Muppeteering moment this week? If we strip aside all the cultural insensitivity, (laughs) I thought I'm giving an honorable mention to the Oklahoma number because that was pretty impressive. But I'm going to give it to the walking dog number. I thought it was a great use of the stage and props and the background moving. And you have so many different dogs walking past him and around him and interacting with him. I thought that was great. And plus, it was just a charming, bright, shining light in the middle of this <laughs> crap of an episode. Uh, I also gave it to the dog walk. Uh, same thing. A lot of movement. Single take. Yeah, uh, a lot of coordination of people passing and moving under the set, uh, and it makes me wish that you had seen Walkin from last episode, which was in the UK spot that wasn't on the the Disney Plus broadcast because it uses yeah. that same backdrop and that same gimmick. Ah, gotcha. That's why I was so impressed by it this time. I hadn't seen it before. So, Jaron, what happened this week on Star Trek: The Original Series? Well, it wasn't real racist unless you're racist against uh, ancient Greeks. So, I mean, I guess you can count it that way. But anyway, it's fair. This week's episode of the original series is Plato's Stepchildren. So we have Kirk, Spock and Bones beaming down to a planet to investigate a distress call. They are greeted by a little person named Alexander, and he leads them to the rest of his people who are apparently millennia old aliens that traveled to Earth back in Grecian times. And they really dig the lifestyle, um, especially the teachings of Plato. So they just kind of kept with it, and they call themselves the Platonians. All of them, except for Alexander, however, appear to possess telekinetic powers. So that's interesting for later on. They explain that they may have lured the Enterprise here because they need a doctor, because their leader, Parman, was injured somehow. Um, And since they have such a utopian society where there is no violence, they never need a doctor. But since Parman was injured... He was already getting a bad infection really quickly, so he needs to be helped very soon. So Bones sweeps in for the rescue and heals Parman. Uh, But when Parman begins to wake, he is in a bit of a fever state from the infection, so he starts blasting the furniture and even starts to shake the Enterprise in orbit. Um, They're able to sedate him, but when he finally wakes and gets past his fever, uh, he tells Spock and Bones that they can only be on their way if they leave Bones behind to stay there and be their permanent doctor in case anything goes wrong again. Uh, obviously, Bones and Spock and Kirk are not cool with this, so they say no, but Parman won't have it, so he starts torturing Kirk and Spock, and then beams down Nurse Chapel in Uhura and forces all of them to perform with his telekinetic powers for the other Platonians for their amusement, um, humiliating all of them, basically. But unbeknownst to the Platonians, before this little forced performance happens, Kirk and the others uh, figured out how the Platonians got their powers, and they do it by uh, this increase of a hormone in their system, and by ingesting the food in the planets uh, on the planet, they're native. So they take some of that hormone and they, you know, eat some of the local food. But they have no idea how long it's going to take to kick in. And then once it does, they'll have even more telekinetic powers than the Platonians. So in the middle of this uh, humiliating performance, they finally get their powers too, um, and they overtake um, the people, and they're able to escape and go elsewhere in the galaxy, and they uh, bring Alexander with them because he's tired of his life there as this basically a slave servant uh, to this Platonians. So, Steve, what do you think of Plato's stepchildren? So, I would, 
here's what I'll say. It felt really fitting. You know how like the last two weeks I was really hoping that we were going to have like a monumental episode of Star Trek because we had two really great hosts in a row. Oh yeah. Yeah. I feel like these are two of the most erratic episodes of either show. (laughs) And it's extremely appropriate that they somehow lined up. Interesting. There were some things I liked. Um, Once again, bones is like thwarted by a simple cut. It's really funny. It's just like a repeating theme this season. (laughs) I didn't think about that. Um, I, this felt like an episode of season one and that it followed the same pattern of like, team goes down something happens to enterprise enterprise has to leave team has to resolve it on their own mm-hmm. and it really followed that and we haven't seen a lot of that since like season one maybe early season season two true uh we got to see a lot more out of leonard nimoy as spock that's always oh, like yeah. a nice spot and we got to see really over top versions of it like overacted because that's the way it was supposed to be of him laughing and him weeping and singing um and then another great thing is this is the episode we've been mentioning on and off for the entire run of this, which is the first televised interracial kiss. Right. I guess it should be specified in a um, in America and on a fictional show because apparently the oh, first, it happened. By- apparently there is one. The first uh, interracial kiss on American network television was between um, Nancy Sinatra kissing Sammy Davis Jr., uh, was okay. On a show called Moving with Nancy, but it wasn't a fictionalized show. It was just like a, you know, like a variety show kind of thing. So it's a little different. I, I like that even for this time, they had to frame it that they were being forced against their absolute will, right, to kiss it, and that was likely the one of the only reasons they were able to do it at all. To get away with so it. So it was funny, even though it was groundbreaking, the way they had to frame it was really not great. And they even did one shot where. Uh, they weren't kissing, but because they wanted to do that from for safety. But for that shot, uh, the last second, uh, William Shatner crossed his eyes, so they couldn't use that take, <laughs> which I thought was kind of nice. cool. <laughs> Things I struggled with a little bit. Um, so anytime the telekinetic powers were shown on people, it was really bad. It just equated to Shatner and DeForest Kelly and Leonard Nimoy like flopping around like idiots. <laughs> yeah, punching themselves and stuff. Punching themselves and rolling against walls. Um, it just felt really yucky. Like it just didn't look good. Now the, the flip side of that coin is that um, all the object movement was seamless. Yeah, they did very well for back then. Them I moving around the chaises and the furniture, even like in the set like that was genius sending over the shield to kirk and everything right right so that stuff was really good but the actor's interpretation of it was terrible (laughs) um just so over the top and that's a highly memed gift by the way the one of shatner slapping himself (laughs) that's used a lot on the internet to um, this day and this episode really had some crazy pacing issues Mm. it was slow and then really manic and then slow again as he's trying to like kiss his way out of another one. <laughs> um, and then the performance just had a lot of weird beats where it was accelerated and slowed down, accelerated, slowed down. And it just made for a really, a really up and down episode. Hmm. I don't know. I thought it was kind of a middle of the ground episode for me. 
Um, but it was I, I it's very memorable because of the once again like the the Greeks and stuff like that. I, this one and the other Roman god one I remember a lot because it's kind of like some alien the Greeks, that was the Romans. I feel like there was one other that was also similar to this. Yeah, that, the big huge guy who's like a Greek, a Roman god or something. Oh yeah, the Roman god one. I always yeah, forget yeah. the name of that one too. Oh, who mourns for Adonis or whatever? Adonis. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there was also that one. Yeah, which was kind of the same. Ish, kind of, kind of the same. They should have ran into each other back then. These two different alien races, yeah, and fought each other <laughs> in the arena. But I, I really liked the, I really liked Alexander in this. He really stood out for me. It's like a great actor and a good point of it. Um, I like the moment where Alexander's happy that they aren't going to make fun of him for his size. He's like, really, he's like, oh, I thought you were going to make fun of me for my size. And Kirk saying later on, he's saying size, shape, and color make no difference where we come from. And I was like, that's so cool. Such an opposite from the Muppets episode I just watched. <laughs> It's uh, a future yeah. without all these racial insensitivities. <laughs> so yeah, well, I mean, where do you think it places? It's not like not a bad episode, right? It's just kind of middle. It's not a bad episode, middle. Yeah, I say it's pretty. Middle. I think I feel like in this episode, this season so far, I have not had a single episode on the Star Trek side that I've been able to think about like that's top three without a doubt, or that's bottom three without a doubt. That's a pretty good thing. Even Spock's I brain. had that episode yet. <laughs> um, Spock's brain was out there, but there's brain. some stuff in season one. That's so bad. Oh, and I didn't want to mention, I didn't know if it was purposeful, but I like how Spock, Kirk, and Bones, especially the beginning of the episode, they keep getting revealed things to them by the aliens, and they don't seem phased in the slightest. They're like, okay, yeah, yeah. you're, you're 3,000 years old? Cool. Like, none of them take, react to that in any way, shape, or form, because they're used to this shit by now. I thought I didn't know if that was on purpose, but they don't react to those things, and I kind of like like that development as their characters. So, But anyways... I don't know. Maybe we're just not giving them enough credit because think about the last two and a half seasons of Star Trek and all the shit they've seen. Exactly. All these this all is powerful just aliens. another day at the office. Yeah. Like compared to other all powerful aliens they've seen, these guys are nothing. They'll be fine. That's right. <laughs> so a little trivia. Kinetic powers. <laughs> yeah. We can handle that. <laughs> You're not a god. Uh, so uh, Leonard Nimoy actually composed that Maiden Wine song that he sang himself. He made that oh. song. Not that it was very pretty. It was very nicely sung, very folksy. Uh, Nichelle Nichols, Ahura, said this was her favorite episode due to Ahura's being allowed to do something plot crucial as opposed to her usual role as a glorified receptionist. As That's her, her words, apparently. But I think she's a lot more than a glorified receptionist. Um, it says, in the UK, where interracial romance had already been depicted on television, the BBC dropped this episode and subsequent repeats purely on the violence factor, or so they said. On the grounds of the sadistic treatment of the Enterprise crew was not suitable for its early evening time slot. Um, it was first shown in the UK on satellite television some 25 years later, and only on the BBC in December of 1993 was the first time it was shown on the BBC. It was a long time later. Uh, there's some dispute about whether the kiss actually even occurred between Kirk and Uhura. Um, according mm -hmm. to the on-screen footage, it appears that the actor's lips touched However, both William Shatner and Nichelle Nichols claimed that in Star Trek Memories, apparently a book, that NBC exerted pressure to forbid lip contact and to use a clever camera technique to conceal the separation. And if you look closely, it appears the actor's lips are not touching and the angling makes it look like they might be slightly touching. He's definitely not full on, you know, giving her a smooch. Look, I mean, I understand. <laughs> you know, you're pulling off something kind of crazy for U.S. television. You go for the lightest version. Right, and they stayed. But still was what it off. depicted was a kiss. Was that was what was depicted? Because that's all I care about. I agree, and it worked. Yeah. 
So yeah, and originally a studio even expressed concern and they were thinking maybe Spock should be the one to kiss Ahura because at least he's an alien technically. And, you know, that might make it better for the southern U.S. states, but they didn't go through with that. So uh, I like how it came out. It worked out as much as they could do in the 60s. So it's pretty cool. So, Steve, what's our Trek connection? Oh, Muppet connections? If I got news for you. Oh, do you? That was the name of a British comedy show that had many <laughs> guest hosts over the years. Nice. And I think it's still on. Have I got news for you? Including Spike Milligan and William Shatner. Nice. And William Shatner, apparently his hosting tenure was extremely dubious because he had no reference to like British celebrities or current events. Oh, God. While he was reading the news, <laughs> this comedy news. Uh, Edinburgh Fringe in 2008 featured Michael Barrymore playing Spike Milligan in a show hmm. and also featured Leonard Nimoy in a play he had written about Vincent Van Gogh named Vincent. Oh, neat. Uh, Spike was in history of the world part one, which also featured Orson Welles as the narrator. Well, Orson Welles also narrated the trailer for star Trek, the motion picture. Ah, yes. Bam. Connected. That's pretty great. And, of course, they're connected because they're the same episodes. They're so similar. I mean, this week, it kind of worked. I mean, Sam the Eagle thinks that Spike Milligan is going to help him out, but he betrays him by being a bombastic fool. Just how the Enterprise crew thinks that the Plutonians will be enlightened, but they betray them by being barbaric. Both features seemingly erratic and out-of-control things, Kirk and Spock under mind control, and the out-of-control bagpipe that dances about. <laughs> Uh, Spike Milligan tries to make a mockery of the small world closing number, just as Kirk and the rest of the crew try to make a mockery of the fake show they're being forced to put on for the Plutonians. Nice. Both yeah. feature stage performances, the normal Muppet show and Kirk, Spock and Uhura in the forced play. That's very true. You're not wrong. Bam. Oh, what's that noise? Transporter malfunction. Transporter malfunction. All right, so it's part of the show where we transport one character from one of the episodes to the other and vice versa. So what you got for Steve? This week, Muppets to Trek, I've got Spike Milligan uh, going over to replace Kirk. I think it would be funny to watch him squirm and struggle about on the ground. <laughs> you would be weird doing that. You'd be it good would. at that. Uh, I sent Spike Milligan over to replace the Plutonian leader, Parman, because uh, he's just, when he wakes up, he's just always insane and incomprehensible, destroying everything and killing everyone with his oh, telekinetic yeah. powers. <laughs> so that would man, be, it's yeah. like it's like if if two Gary Buseys got into a trench coat <laughs> and got very British and, and then, hosted a show, that would be what Spike Milligan was. Pretty much. Uh, Treks to Muppets this week. I've got bring over the stereotypical Greeks and add them to the stereotypical. It's a small world. <laughs> that would work pretty well. I'd have the little person character, Alexander, beamed over to take the place of Spike Milligan for the whole episode. Uh, he would okay. be a lot more easy to understand, more sweet, and a lot less racist, hopefully. <laughs> yes, I agree. Man. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of episode 66, a doozy of the Muppet Trek podcast. Join us next time for The Muppet Show with special guest Leslie Uggams. And original series episode, Wink of an Eye. So from the lovers, the dreamers, and us, live long and prosper, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Muppet Trek podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds. 